So I'm sure you've heard of the expression, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Now I am an eternal optimist, so whenever someone says to me, I have some good news and I have some bad news, what do you want to hear first? I say, give me the good news and keep the bad news to yourself. All right, but it doesn't work that way, does it? And so I thought we could start with a, a few uh, good news and bad news jokes. Can we start? Is it okay to joke a little bit tonight? Yeah, just say, you know, contain your excitement there. Um, and these would definitely fall into the category of corny dad jokes, okay? I'm just going to warn you now. I'm going to give you three good news, bad news jokes, okay? And one's about a uh, pastor, and one of them is about a lawyer, and one of them is about a doctor. So here's the first one, okay? Uh, the uh, chairman of the elders comes up to the pastor and he says, I have some good news and some bad news. Well, the good news is your women's softball team finally won a game. The bad news is that they beat your men's softball team. <laughs> All right, good news, bad news. Actually, you laughed more than I thought, so that, I'm, I'm actually feeling good about this now. All right, uh, this is a lawyer. All right, lawyer says to his client, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The bad news is that the DNA test showed that it was your blood that they found at the crime scene. The client says, oh my goodness, that's horrific. Like, what could possibly be the good news? Well, the good news is that your cholesterol is down to 130. All right, one more. This is a doctor. He says to his patient, I have some good news and some bad news, okay? Well, give me the good news first. He says, okay. Well, the good news is, well, you have 24 hours to live. The patient's like, how in the world is that good news? He said, well, if you, you knew the bad news, you see, the bad news is I forgot to tell you yesterday. That's not bad, huh? Those are pretty good. <laughs> good news and bad news. In reality, life is filled with good news and bad news, isn't it? You never know. Some days it's both. Some days you get good news and bad news. Sometimes you go a whole week and it's mostly good news, and then all of a sudden you get some bad news. Or let me put it a, another way. Life is full of blessings but also burdens, I mean, this side of heaven, because of the effect of the curse of sin, the, the fall of man back in Genesis chapter three, because of that, on this side of heaven, there isn't a single person in this room that isn't going to be touched by the burdens of life. And sometimes we're the ones causing the burdens. Sometimes the burdens are thrust upon us by someone else, but the reality is, all of us, this side of heaven, are going to experience blessings and burdens. And as I read through this passage that we're looking at today, chapter 1, verse 3 through 12, really what emerged to me was five blessings of God. And when I thought about this, I really believe this with all of my heart. When we really lean into these five blessings and really let it soak in and saturate into the soul... I believe that we can leave here today and each and every day realizing that there are five blessings of God that outweigh the burdens of life. 
five blessings of God that outweigh the burdens of life. It doesn't mean that we ignore the burdens of life. It doesn't mean that we put on the, the, you know, the, the cheesy, fake Christian smile and pretend that there aren't burdens. No, that's a reality of life. But the blessings, when we stop and remember and saturate our souls with the blessings, they will outweigh the burdens in our lives. So let's look at the first one in verse three. It says, blessed, the Greek word, the New Testament is written in the Greek. The word is elagitas, elagitas. The word blessed, it means a happy filled praise. So he begins with, with encouragement. Now let me just give a little context here actually before we read. And we covered a lot of this last week, okay? If you weren't able to make it last week, the, uh, the talk is online or you can go to Uncase or to YouTube to find that. But uh, he talked last week about uh, Peter writing to these individuals, these five different provinces in, in Rome, and they were going through a lot of pain and persecution because Nero was the emperor, and he was a psycho, and he hated Christians. In fact, three years after Peter wrote this letter, he would be killed under the reign of Emperor Nero. So he's writing to individuals who, yes, they experienced the blessings of life, but they were experiencing a lot of the burdens of life too, pain and persecution. And, but he begins his letter after he gets past the, the intro, the greeting that we looked at last week, he begins with the word blessed. He reminds them that even through it all, you are blessed. You are blessed. In fact, blessed be the God and Lord of, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise-filled, happy-filled praise should be on your lips, even in the burdens of life, because of the God you know and serve. And he tells why we should be praise-filled or happy-filled in our praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first of the five blessings I want to give to you tonight is this. Number one, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. The word hope is the Greek word elpis. You see, hope can, can, can mean different things. Really, you could say, gee, I, I, I really hope, I really hope, you know, I win the lottery. <laughs> I mean, how many would, hope, would like, to, like to win the lottery? Huh? Show of hands, all right? I feel like every hand should be up, okay? That's okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope to win the lottery, but right, the, the chances of winning the lottery are horrible. Actually, really, really bad because I don't even get a ticket, so. <laughs> Gee, I hope I can. That's that idea of like, you know, like, like maybe there's just a, a glimmer of hope. That's not the word LPs here. The word LPs means a firm confidence in. So this isn't, gee, I hope so. It is a living hope. It is a firm confidence in who God is and what is in store for our lives. A living hope. Can we agree that the world needs hope? And we are the hope bearers. We should be. We're the ones that have the living hope dwelling in us. And it's not just 
some kind of fuzzy hope. It's very specific, Peter says. It is based on something very specific. Let me take a little quiz here. You know, there are, there are different religions in the world, and, and really when you look at the different religions of the world, there is a lot of similarity in the different world religions, all right? Nearly every world religion believes that there's some type of higher power, uh, every, uh, nearly every uh, uh, world religion believes that you should be nice to people, <laughs> right? Do good while you're here. Most of the world religions believe that, that there's something, not all of them, but most of them believe that there's something after here and now. And so there are a lot of similarities in the world religion, but there's very, one very important thing that makes Christianity distinct from all of the religions of the world, and that what makes it distinct is that we have a leader who defeated death. He rose from the dead. That's what separates Christianity is the resurrection. That he didn't stay dead. I mean, we gotta be careful. I, I hear people share the gospel and they talk about the death of Christ, but they don't mention the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus only died for our sins, that's no good news, that's no gospel, that's horrific news. It means that you and me, our sin, nailed him to a cross. And that's it, he's done, he's gone. But what makes the gospel good news is not his death, that was necessary. What makes the gospel good news is that he rose from the dead. That needs to be sung about. That needs to be included when we share Christ. That is why we have a living hope. Living hope is rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead. That's what our living hope is based on. The story of a, of a boy by the name of Philip. He was born with Down syndrome. He attended a third grade uh, Sunday school class with several other uh, eight-year-old boys and girls. And typical of that age, the children didn't readily accept Philip with his differences. According to an article, Leadership Magazine, but because of a creative teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, though not fully. The Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought legs, pantyhose, containers. You remember those? I don't see those anymore. Remember those? Big, you know, things. I never bought them because I, I never wore pantyhose. Um, and, uh, you know, they look like these large eggs. Well, each received one and the children were told by the teacher to go outside and try to find something that symbolizes new life and put it in the egg-like container. Now back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise, with surprising one another with what they had found. Well, after running around the church property in wild confusion, the students returned to the classroom and placed the containers on the table. Surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. After each one, whether a flower or a butterfly or a leaf, you know, the class would ooh and ah for each one when it was opened. Then one was opened and it revealed nothing inside. The children exclaimed, that's stupid, that's not fair. Somebody didn't do the assignment. Philip spoke up. That's mine. 
Philip, you don't ever do things right, they said. There's nothing there. I did so do it, Philip insisted. I did do it. It's empty because the tomb was empty. Silence followed. From then on, Philip became a full-fledged member of the class. He died not long afterwards from an infection most normal kids would have shrugged off. At the funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the altar, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, each to lay on it an empty pantyhose egg. That's the hope. It's because the tomb is empty. Amen? Amen. Think of it this way. Full tomb equals empty hope. Empty tomb equals full hope. I don't know how else to say it. There is no life apart from both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our living hope flows from. Let's keep reading. Verse uh, four and five, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, uh, it can't fade away. Uh, It will be full of purity, this inheritance that we have. It won't fade away. It can't be stolen, all right? There's nothing that can happen to this inheritance. It is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The second blessing that that should cause that to outweigh our burdens is that our inheritance is secure. Our inheritance is secure. We have this living hope, and where this living hope leads to is an eternity in heaven. And not just heaven, but also an inheritance provided for us from God. The Bible says that we, uh, we are co-heirs of Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is secure. Now, I found out not that long ago, actually, that I actually have a half-sister out there somewhere. And uh, I've only known for, I think, a couple years now. And, 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 and I've, I've often wondered about this half-sister that's out there. Never, never, never met her. And um, yeah, I did that Ancestry.com. And um, I did find out that I have a second cousin who's a Wicca witch. So that's interesting. A pastor and a witch uh, in a family line. But that's interesting. Uh, but nothing came up, and I've often wondered about her. And I'm going to just say this, and even though this is going to make me sound so shallow. And maybe it's because I'm raising money <laughs> for a nonprofit. But recently I've been fantasizing that I would meet her, and she's like a multimillionaire <laughs> who's also a Christian. <laughs> And like just finances uncaged for all of us. So I don't know if that's right or wrong, but (laughs) that's been my my recent like, oh man, that would be great, Lord. You know, you know, you parted the Red Sea. This wouldn't be that big for you to do. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, the chances are though, if you know, human perspective, the chances are like, you know, one in probably a bazillion that that's the case. 
all right? Um, and uh, I love my family, but there's no millionaires in my family. There's no rich uncle that I'm unaware of that, you know, um, you know I, I'm not planning, I'm not banking on a, a wealthy inheritance someday. But you know what? I got a mansion waiting for me. And my mansion is on streets of gold. And I don't know if that's metaphorical or literal or what that means. All all I know is is what uh, the biblical authors are trying to communicate is that someday we have waiting for us and it's secure, it is a done deal that if you are in Christ, we have an inheritance waiting for us and Satan can't get his hands on it. I love this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I was thinking about this verse today, it says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Him. Now it goes on and talk about the spirit of God revealing to us. So we're, we're able to know to a degree what this inheritance is gonna be like. But don't you love this? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. I mean, we can't even imagine how great heaven is gonna be. I mean, we get a picture of it in, in the Bible, but, but it's impossible to fully grasp how amazing heaven is going to be. And I don't know what the the deal is, what the trend is, but it seems like pastors today, churches today, I think even um, um, to some degree worship songs, and there's obviously some great exceptions to that, but it seems like it's it's, it's not in vogue to talk about heaven that much anymore. And and, and trust me, we, we shouldn't be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. We need to talk about life here and now. We need to talk about impact now. We need to talk about bringing the the values of the kingdom of God now. But I wanna tell you, when you read guys like Peter and you read guys like Paul, they were very much motivated, not by the here and now, they were motivated about what was to come. And that allowed them to live with a deep faith and to be able to, to take the burdens of this world and be reminded that this is just momentary compared to what we have waiting for us. This is not our best life now. C.S. Lewis said the following, pretty well known, some of you might know this, Quote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. I want us leaving here thinking about the implications for now, but I also want us leaving here on our way home singing about the glories of heaven that wait for us. That's one of the ways we can lean in when we face the burdens of life. And remember, the greatest blessing is that God has prepared a place and a person in heaven for us. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verse six and seven. 
It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The third blessing that we have that outweighs the burdens is that our groaning leads to glory. Our groaning is not wasted. If we are in Christ, and if we're willing to even sit in the pain, sit in that brokenness, and let God, if we're not so quick to get past it, but we're willing to sit in it, and we're willing to ask hard questions, if we're willing to do heart surgery, then there is great glory that can come from the groanings in this world. Do you believe that? He mentions the word gold, and this is when you see um, uh, talk about suffering and trials, this is used a number of times in scripture. And one of those is uh, in the book of Job. I think most of you are familiar with the book of Job and the man by the name of Job, he was successful, he had a big family, he had a successful career, and then God came in and wiped that all away. And really the book of Job, most of it is is, uh, Job just crying out to God with all of these burdens, all of this pain that he was experiencing. And yet in the middle, in the middle of this book, there's this glorious verse that helps us understand why when, 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 when God showed up after all of this, in some cases even complaining and questioning God, why God still said to him that he was a blameless man. I believe the key is this verse right here in chapter 23, verse 10. He says, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as what? As gold. He uses this idea of, of, of I don't understand. I mean, I mean can, can we just kind of summarize Job? It's God crying, uh, Job crying out saying, God, I don't understand. By the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with crying out to God that we don't understand. I don't think that's a lack of faith. I think that's being human. In fact, you look at some very godly men like Job, right? Like, you know, like David, uh, and, and, and they lamented. They cried out. They didn't understand. And that's what Job did, but in the midst of that, the one thing he remembered though, even though he didn't understand what God was doing, he remembered who God was, and he remembered that that one of the things that God can do in times like this is to help bring forth gold into our lives. What, What do I mean by that? Well, in Bible times, when they purified gold, the way they would do that was they would heat it up. They would put it over a fire. And that fire would take all the impure metals that was in the liquid gold, and it would cause the impure metals to rise up to the surface. And then what they would do, the goldsmith would, would take those impure metals and, 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 and clear them out. And then apply some more heat. <laughs> And then more impure metals will rise to the surface. And they continue to do this process of applying the heat, causing the impure metals to come to the top so they could scrape it away so that they would be left with pure gold. 
I think the idea here is that in our lives when we're facing some pain, some persecutions, the groanings of life and the temptation for all of us is just to pray, Lord, help me get through it instead of really asking God, help me grow in it. That's a big paradigm shift that we have to make. That when we're experiencing the groanings of life that we don't just ask God to get me through it, but we ask him to grow us in it and to reveal any impurities that might be in our own lives. As many of you know, the last uh, four, three, four months have been uh, quite a journey, really a la- uh, the past year. And uh, confused, times of confusion, um, times that were at times unfair, um, times in my own life of just looking at things and, and wishing I would have done things differently. This last year was a, was a season of refining. And I want to tell you, it was so tempting to play, woe is me, this isn't fair, and, and to sit around and pout. And I did for a couple weeks. And then my wife said, get up and get a job. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't say that. She's saying that now, but she didn't say it then. Um, but I'm going to tell you, what a gloriously painful season to look inward and say, Lord, purify my heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to sit around and complain when things aren't right, aren't fair, or even you know, at our own inadequacies. I don't know about you. I, I, I have a Savior that was all in for me. I don't have time to sit around and pout. I want to run to the finish line. I want the broken times. I want the, the, the seasons of confusion, the things we don't understand. I want them to be gloriously painful and messy times where we actually see the heart and what needs to be purified. Because I've said this many times, discipleship is caught more than it's taught. You can be eloquent in speech, but if your life doesn't look like Jesus, you're not gonna make any eternal difference in this world. And so the seasons of groaning actually become some of the greatest seasons of our lives. If we're willing to sit in that for a season. Not sit and pout, but I mean, be willing to not rush to something else, not you know, blame everything and everyone else and not look at our own hearts and say, Lord, show me the impurities in my own heart. When the heat's applied to my life, those areas of impurities that need to be removed from my life. You know, David, he made his share of mistakes it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And you want to have an impact in this world, you want to experience the joy of the Lord that's having a heart that follows hard after God. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, the pure in heart who see God. So in the groanings of life, don't be so quick to get past it, to get through it. Take some time and ask God to help you grow in it and through it. Let's look at the fourth one. 
verse eight and nine. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you, excuse me, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The fourth blessing is this. Knowing Christ produces never-ending joy. I love that word inexpressible. That when you believe in Christ, when you come to know Christ, you can have this inexpressible joy. Uh, The Greek word for inexpressible is aneglaitos. Very hard to say. I probably didn't even say it right. Aneglaitos. You know what it means? It, It means unspeakable unspeakable joy, in other words, it's beyond explanation. That when you're rooted in Christ and you're growing in Christ and you're letting him do his work in your life and your heart's becoming more and more in love with Christ and pursuing Christ, that he can produce this joy that's actually hard to explain to people. Why is it hard to explain? Because the joy that even the trials can't take away. I remember still being fairly young in my faith. Uh, I was probably a follower of Christ for uh, maybe six or seven years. I was still a young man, and I was very close to my grandmother, and she ended up getting cancer, and she died within months of discovering the cancer. And this was really, I'd had an aunt die, but I was younger. Um, and, and, but this was like someone now as an, a young adult, and I, I was very close to my grandmother. And I remember when she passed, away and I was living in Pennsylvania and, and, and I was driving to get to the airport to fly out because uh, I was asked, she asked me if I would do her funeral um, and I remember sobbing so deeply that I had to pull off to the side of the road because it wasn't even safe to drive because I was just crying. If you know me, you know I I cry, all right? I'm a passionate person. But this was like ugly crying, (laughs) you know? I mean, this was like ugly crying and like, like sobbing. And I remember as a young Christian, for the first time, understanding grief, deep grief. She wasn't that old. It was so unexpected. But having a peace and a joy mixed with that grief. Because my grandmother had given her life to Christ just a month before she passed away. I had the awesome privilege of, 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 of praying with my grandmother for her to give her life to Christ. And I remember for the first time understanding that you could experience the, one of the most painful experiences of your life and there still be this joy because of eternity. And let me put it another way in our context. I was experiencing for the first time what it meant to have living hope. An inheritance that was secure. Despite the pain. 
And the reason I say that is, is, is I think that's the idea of this word. It, it, it's, it's unexplainable. It's, it's hard to explain to that to somebody who doesn't know Christ that somehow you can have the most intense pain of your life and still have joy. But that is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. That's the living hope. And when we know Christ, nothing has to steal that joy. We won't always be happy, heavens no. But we always have joy. In fact, we're commanded to always have joy. So oftentimes we think our joy is rooted in other things or in other people. I love my wife and she enhances my joy. But if I'm rooting my joy in my wife, what happens when she gets cancer or passes away unexpectedly? Right? If, if I'm basing my joy, if I'm trying to root my joy in a title or a position or status, what happens if that gets taken away? What are we left with? That's me, what about you? By way of application, what are those things that we're sometimes tempted to, to try to find our joy in? What if we try to find our joy in our kids and then they screw up and they become a disaster? <laughs> Right? The only place we can root never-ending joy is in the person of Jesus Christ. And in that relationship. That's a joy that can last. That, that's, that's why Paul was able to say in Philippians chapter four, verse 12 through 13, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every situation. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I mean, think about that. Right? He's known both. If you feel like you're having a really bad day, just go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. You're gonna feel better about your life. Okay, I mean, all the stuff that he went through in his life, the beatings, being shipwrecked, I mean, left for dead, imprisoned, you know, all of that. In verse four of the same chapter, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. We're commanded to never lose our joy. Happiness comes and go, right? Happenings is rooted in our happenings. But joy is rooted in a person and when we root ourselves in that, that becomes our highest ambition, to know Christ. Then whether brought low or lifted up, whether hungry or well-fed, whether having plenty or having nothing, Paul could say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ is the only place to find the never-ending joy, the inexpressible aneglaitas joy. It's unspeakable, you can't even explain it, that it's there, even in the most horrific of circumstances. I want that kind of joy. Anybody else? Let me give you one more. Verse 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, so what are the blessings of God that outweigh our burdens? We have a living hope. Our inheritance is secure. Our groaning can lead to glory. Knowing Christ produces never-ending joy. And here's a fifth one. This is one we probably don't think much about. And, and I just read that, and the more I thought about that, this is a really cool one. Number five, we get to experience what the prophets and angels longed for. The, the prophets wanted so desperately in their time to see the coming Messiah. It says even the, the angels were longing for this. Have, have you ever said you wish you lived in a different time? Okay, so I'm just gonna, some of you, I'm gonna, some of you are gonna think I'm a total dork, but you know what show, I, I, I've loved it since I was a kid. To this day, I still watch it. Little House on the Prairie. I love Little House on the Prairie. I think a lot of it's because I'm a lot like Charles, strong and masculine, but yet tender. Why are we laughing? I was serious. No, I'm not serious. No, but, but I just, I don't know, I just love that show. And I remember I used to always say, oh, I wish I lived back then. Life was so much simpler and I wished I lived back then. You know, and like, and I'm thinking like, wait, no I don't. <laughs> it was really hard back then. You always think about life, you know, another time or a different era was better. I want us to actually celebrate we live where we live today. I think it was Mordecai, right, who said to Esther, for such a time as this, Esther, you are here. I want you to know that you are here for such a time as this. This is not a coincidence. God has you in this season because he wants you in this season. He has you in this era. He has you here today where we live because that's when he wanted you here. And oh, by the way, I think it's an absolute joy that we were born in the era of the new covenant and not the old covenant. I mean, that's what he's talking about here, right? Can you imagine living in the old covenant? The fact that you couldn't eat bacon, that alone makes it horrible. <laughs> Let alone anything else. Couldn't eat bacon, couldn't wear polyester. Well, that's not that big of a deal, I guess, but all right. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You, you, every year, they would have to offer sacrifices, sacrifices every year. But the law could not save anybody. All the law revealed wasn't their spirituality. The law simply revealed their, their sinfulness and the need for a coming Messiah. Can you imagine living back then and not having the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? 
And so I kind of love this one. I don't know how much we think about that, but I just want to throw that out as an application. Like before bed tonight, drop to your knees before you get into bed and say, Lord, thank you that you created me. You ordained before the foundations of the earth when I would be born. Psalm 139 talks about that. That you chose to allow me to be born during the new covenant when I could know Christ, a Christ that has already come, that I could know him, and that I could have the very Holy Spirit of God who raised him from the dead dwelling in me. We ought to be the most thankful, joy-filled people on the planet. The prophets and the angels longed for what we've experienced, a Messiah that's already come and a Messiah that will still come again, amen, and right all wrongs. Would you stand with me, please? On the back of uh, your notes or the other side of your notes, there's uh, kind of a, you know, so here's what Peter's doing. Um, Peter is offering a lot of encouragement in this first half of chapter one. And starting next week, he's gonna start exhorting. In light of all of these incredible things that God has done for you, in light of that, and then he's gonna start exhorting and we'll hit that next week. But last week and this week, first half of 1 Peter, he just wants to just bathe us, saturate our souls with encouragement. But that doesn't mean there is an application either. And so um, I'm not gonna fill this in for you, but um, on the other side of the sheet there, it says application of God's blessings. Would you take some time tonight or this week in your time with God and just finish the sentence for these blessings, for in other words, because we have a living hope. Here's, here's one that I would, I would put. Because we have a living hope, we can ignore Satan's lies about us. Satan has no place because my hope is a living hope. He can't take that from me. You know, for instance. But go through those. In light of these blessings, how then shall I live in light of this? But I wanna close uh, I, I came across this in a book called Keeping Place, Reflections on the Meaning of Home by uh, Jen Pollock Michael. And uh, she reflects in the book on the nature of home in a transient age. Well, we're not home yet. And in this short excerpt, excerpt that I wanna read, uh, she describes the central longing um, that you find in two very well-known and very beloved authors, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. She, she makes this connection in both of their uh, writings. Of course, they lived at the same time. Um, she says this, in their stories of hobbits and orcs and fawns and beavers and Father Christmas, Tolkien and Lewis told the story of home as the scripture tells it. The world has fallen from its original perfection, but it will one day be restored. The enduring legacy of these stories testify to the resonance of their hope. Humans, catch this, humans long for the thaw of winter and the return of the king. They wanna go home Acquainted with the early grief of losing a mother, both Tolkien and Lewis knew the longing for a world in which death and injustice did not triumph.
I'm looking forward to that home, aren't you? I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to apologize to my wife for being a jerk. I look forward to the day when I don't wake up and get out of bed and I'm hurting in some part of my body and my wife asks why, why and I simply say, because I'm old, I don't know. I don't even know what I did, it just hurts. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to never having to rely on the mercy of God because of my sin. But to be able to serve him perfectly and to walk with him and to know him perfectly to have a joy that can't be robbed because there's no sin. There's no Satan in heaven. On your worst day this week, on your worst moment this week, lean into the living hope, the inheritance that's secure, that can't be taken away. Father God, thank you. We thank you, Heavenly Father. That because Jesus not only died, but because Jesus defeated death, we have this living hope. Nothing, nothing can take that from us. And so we thank you for that, Father. And so I ask you, Father, in the midst of the burdens of life, may we lean in and celebrate, even in the midst of the burdens, may we celebrate the blessings that you have poured out onto us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.